Hello and welcome to Bergcast, a podcast celebrating the work of visionary writer Nigel Neal. In this special episode, we chat to Mark Gatiss, who, like Neal, has had a huge impact on popular culture. Mark talks about Neal's sweaty terror and cosy pessimism, his attempts to get new Neal productions made and greater industry recognition, their respective adaptations of The First Men in the Moon, and Mark also shares his memories from the unique experience of making the 2005 live Quatermass experiment. You first became aware, not necessarily of just Quatermass, but of, of Nigel Neal. Was it through the gateway drug of Doctor Who, or was it separate? I guess it's hard to isn't it, from this distance. I have a very, very particular memory of watching the movie of Quatermass in the Pit on a Tuesday night on the BBC and then everyone at school talking about it in the dinner queue the next day. I can see that now. And I'm sure through that, in that sort of osmotic way, you then obviously talk to your parents and go, oh, yes, I remember pubs emptying. All the anecdotes came out. And that must have been, I can pretty much date that because it was junior three. That must have been about 1975, 76. And then, of course, what that joins in perfectly with his beasts. And uh, so beasts, uh, I was really obsessed with. And so I think I kind of knew about the whole shebang around then. And uh, I also saw the film, the movies of Experiment and Quatermass 2 on BBC Two. So it's a sort of, it's it's a combination of parental anecdote uh, how frightening they were, how frightening I found them myself, particularly uh, Quatermass 2 um, on the telly, and then Beasts obviously having this profound effect on me. And then really just a slight huffity-puffity to Quatermass conclusion because then everything came together and I, I bought all the scripts and I was able to consume the whole thing. So it's sort of, it's basically a mid to late 70s encounter. Were you aware then that the that beasts was written by the guy who'd done the hammer yes. pit yeah by the, by the quatermass man that's i mean i remember i think it was certainly in the paper not the radio times i don't know because we only got it at christmas uh but uh, yeah but, we we did too and it was it and it was itv yeah, anyway i think in that way that you can judge people you can sometimes meet someone and go oh yes you weren't allowed to watch itv were you and I, i've always <laughs> terrible I'm always terribly jealous of people who got the, the radio times, radio and TV times all year round. I mean, it was, it was even more of a treat for us. It was such an indulgence. But anyway, I, I remember think, reading the Northern Echo that it was by the Quatermass, the Rocket Man. And so um, that was certainly led me to, to watch Beasts. And then I just remember being in our region, in Tyne Tees, uh, during Barty's Party was the first one. Still one of my favorites. And although I stuck to them religiously, that and Baby were the ones that made the most profound mm-hmm. effect. But I think, I just remember being so, I feel, I remember feeling a bit like I do today. It was a sort of sweaty terror, which you just didn't really get on the telly. And, and I suppose, you know, with adult eyes, I look back and I think, I mean, Barty's Party is such a brilliant idea. If you listen to classic FM, as I do, you realise that the principle of Barty's party has not gone away, and this sort of endless re- repetition of commercial adverts and and a sort of chatty, homely Radio Two quality. But you couple that with this idea about super rats that you never see, 
And then this brilliant inversion of the power balance between Elizabeth Sellers, who is the sort of definition of a repressed 70s housewife, and her husband being um, being one of those tie-loosening, whiskey-drinking husbands. And then by the end, she's in charge and he's a wreck. And you still never see the rat. It's a, it's a, it's a marvellous piece of work, I think. So, I mean, it, I just... I just um, I loved his voice, I suppose, and his kind of the weird, it's a weird sort of cozy cynicism or or perhaps a kind of, don't know, it, it, it's, there's a strange pessimism to Neil, I've always thought, and yet he, he loves yeah. people. He loves people. He loves tradition, but he's afraid of it or he's afraid of it in the wrong hands. And... I mean, he really has such a special voice. It's it really isn't like anybody else. There's a there's a celebration of tradition, and there's also a terror of it. There's um, I'm I'm, I'm reminded actually. Obviously, it's, he's affected your own work quite profoundly. I remember quite early on, um, you had that wonderful scene with Mr. Chittery, who has a direct Nigel Deal reference, where he's yeah. um dissecting the sewn together animals in that that episode that's just yeah i remember i remember i saw it quite late but i remember just last screaming out loud when you just said it's a beast oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's full of them it's full of them yes absolutely yeah uh but Sorry. um yeah it's, it's always profoundly it's profound effect and it's it's about it's not just you know the the themes um and the you know, similarity of things that are very close to my heart. It's also, it's just his it, it, incredibly admirable skill. As a former, as a former actor, he had a great uh, ear, a great ear for dialogue mm. and a, a brilliant eye for character. I mean, really the way he sketches in these little cameos and things. And there's a wonderful bit, Back to Beast, there's a wonderful bit in um, What Big Eyes, what an extraordinary piece of work that is. Mm. When, um, when the Michael Kitchen's boss is, is, it's essentially giving him all the exposition about um, Patrick McGee's weird pet shop, but he's doing it whilst on the phone and getting someone to talk their cat down. It's, it's very, yeah. very clever because you get the whole lot, which is very outre. But in the meantime, he's just saying, well, try a sauce with milk. <laughs> it's very nicely done. As, I mean, as far back as uh, Pit, the BBC Pit, you know, you get, you know, the, uh, actually, no, far back as, as Experiment, you get the, the, the narrative device used equally as well by, by, by Russell Davis and the Doctor Who of just a news, as a news dump, as information, sorry, yeah. newscasting as, 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 as info dump. Yeah. And I think it's a great shame that in, although uh, the most, I think, remembered least of quite us now are the films just because they're, they're, when they're when they're seen um you miss the the little uh, uh sides of you know, the great british public those the scenes in the first in the first um in half men first as a pit when the the increasingly horrified middle-class bbc interviewer is um is in an almost uh chris morris would do this brilliantly when they'd always speak your brains it's like basically you're giving them an insensitive an insensible question like do you think they uh, yeah, why not? If they want to, what's wrong with that? And like, and, and oh God, thank God, here's someone whose opinion really matters. And then we can go on to the, the, the utter snobbishness of both subverting the British public being thick and why should we ask them to the utter snobbishness of being judged in that way. In, in, in that way. Yes, that's, well, that's, he does that very brilliantly because he doesn't take sides in the way you might expect him to. But the, the weird yeah. thing for me about that is that I uh, finally saw the TV pit when it was released on video. 
And of course, all that, that stuff's edited out. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, the DVD, I think, that I saw those bits, which I adore, I adore those. And I always, I mean, in, in, uh, in the old times, BC, before COVID, uh, <laughs> and all we talked about was Brexit. And I used to yell at the telly every day, don't talk to people, stop talking to people. And what was constantly in my mind, it was that, you know, it's so similar when they're going up and down the line and saying, well, I think I like, yeah, I like eight men. I think they're a good yeah. thing. <laughs> I think we should have more of them. <laughs> Which is, and that the, the resolution or the attempted resolution of, of, of Pitt is almost, is almost pure Brexit. Um, the Colonel. The wild just, uh, hunt. I was, I was invoking it only the other day. The wild hunt. It's, yeah. it's such a, it's such a potent idea, and he, is absolute genius in, in roping together all these, incredibly diverse seeming concepts into a, not just into a brilliant story, but just a, a sort of myth that you completely fall for because you just go, that's entirely plausible, mm -hmm. and when he invokes, you know, the spirit of Notting Hill what he was living through at the time, the idea of the race riots might actually have a sort of primal urge to, to, to kill and destroy the other. It's, it's entirely plausible, isn't it? The desperation yeah. also yeah, of the minister to be told by Green, that's rubbish, it's clearly this, and that's far more simple. Even though the simple doesn't really make sense. Oh, okay, I'll believe, I'll cling on to that yeah. because, the, because the, the awkward consequences of having to believe, wait a minute, so I'll just, so I'll just believe. The Germans put aliens in a spaceship to, to fool us. Oh, why has why it been buried that deep? It, just, it doesn't make sense, but no, no, no. I'll, I'll take that. Has that dark Wagnerian quality of the heart. But then, yeah, you know, you're sort of, I mean, and I was initially talked about when we, when we did Pitt, you know, well, that's only, you know, 15 years, you know, less, less than 15 years after, after the war. But the, the truth is, we're still banging on about the war in all the wrong ways now. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's still in yeah, it's still, I, I, I think um, one of my sad stories about Nigel Neal is 2000-2001 uh, we tried to get the road remade um, when I met him um, I also had a meeting with at the sixth floor of the BBC about trying to get them to do a new Nigel Neal script uh, I just said you know I think I the man, the man who looks around corners. I'd love to think to know what Nigel Neal thinks the next twenty or thirty years are going to be like. Uh, sadly, their response was that anyone who predated the age of the remote control was effectively not on the list. Oh. But, but to imagine what he would have made of now, and and if he were alive today, what he would be thinking was next. Maybe, maybe he would. Maybe he'd actually become more optimistic because he'd seen it all before. I mean, it's terribly familiar, all this, isn't it? The, but the, the way we have commodified and fetishized the World, world War II into a, into a creation myth, it's, mm. we've got the World Cup and World War II, that's it. All we've, we, we cling on to it like a shroud. <laughs> Two World Wars and one World Cup. Hey, got Bucks Bears. Yeah. And Bucks Bears. <laughs> Remember, they're Brexiters, you see, so they, they're sort of part of that. Are they? There's a Brexit ballad on their last album. I can tell I'm you. crushed. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think, I think Cheryl was, uh, was quite was vocal about pro-Brexit views on, on Twitter. Also, adding to folk news as well, there's, some, there's something so uh, concernedly very um, heterosexual about war and football in the way there isn't, <laughs> there isn't for Eurovision, so possibly that doesn't feed into the we same. Have what we have also one subsequently, you know, just to be kind.
Right, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> With an Australian singer. But anyway, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> about that. So when, um, after your rise to fame, when did you think you might would have got into a position that you would like to try and either adapt Nigel Neal or work with, work, work with Nigel Neal? Well, I mean, I, straight as soon as I could is the answer. I mean, as soon as the League of Gentlemen took off, I, I was trying, I mean, apart from putting lots of references into it, um, I tried, I wrote to someone at BAFTA trying to get him a, a lifetime BAFTA, mm-hmm. and I got a very warm response, but then nothing seemed to come of it. Um, and I'm not quite sure how road came about well except i was i was doing i did the very first bbc4 drama which was called surrealissimo about salvador dali yes yes i remember that and i got to know that the you the, they were called the fiction unit rather which is rather oh yes did, did that become fiction uh, lab later fiction lab, that's right fiction that's lab. Right. yeah very yeah. Yeah. And, and richard Pearson smith who directed it and a guy called jess cleverly and I think that's, he must have been talking about it. That's, that's how it came about, that's how the idea came about. And I, t- I remember taking my now lost copy of the three Neil scripts, you know, that were privately printed mm-hmm. into the, the BBC to talk about doing the road. Maybe it was my idea. You know, I actually can't remember that. But I'd read that, you see, when I bought that in the, sometime in the early 80s in a, in, a, in a junk shop. And I just, that was the one of all of them, actually, even more than... Um, Sex Olympics that I just thought this is must. I mean, it's a ghost story. They're my favourite things. But I thought, oh my God, it made my hair, which I had then, made my hair stand on end. The idea of a reverse haunting, a haunting from the future, it's just such a brilliant idea. Um, so that's I, I tried very very early on, yeah, and then and then as a result, happily spent the day in Barnes with with him and Judith. Um, and I asked him everything I needed to know <laughs> because I didn't think I'd get another opportunity mm-hmm. and I didn't. So I was glad I asked him about, I asked him whether he, if Quatermass 4 had happened when it was originally planned, whether they would have got Andre Morel back. I asked him about the woman in black. I asked him about um, First Man on the Moon, about, I mean, it was just amazing. I got the lot. Uh, some very funny things, and of course, he very casually said, "I did write another quote of mass. I don't know if I wrote it down anywhere, <laughs> I did rather go, oh, what? <laughs> but we all know about that one. Indeed, yeah, yes. Um, I was very actually just before lockdown started in that in that BC when they finally announced the Blu-ray of um, Nigel Neal's Woman in Black. It's you and Kim Newman doing the commentaries. Yes, we've just done it. I mean, it was it was a joyous. Experience. It looks incredible. It looks better than it ever did. My old VHS for years, always, it was very soft, wasn't it, on the mm. telly? It's cute, it's pin sharp, and it's, it's still absolutely Yes, fantastic. I'm very, very excited about it. It's one of the most frightening pieces of television I've ever seen. And yes. it's far more scary than, than Susan Hill's novella. It's, well, it might, it might be more She has a strange relationship. She, shouldn't, she didn't like it. She didn't like yeah. it. I find yeah, it. I heard that. But it's also, it's, it's done in flashback, isn't it? It starts with a Christmas story and a guy then writes down his yeah. Christmas story. So it bookended immediately. It. But this, yeah. it really follows the beats of the story very closely. And it's, mm. it's just so well made. I mean, amazing cast. But as you say, the, the, the scares, I'll, I used to, I, spent, I think the following two Christmases, 89, 1991, I used to take that black, 
box video with me and like an evangelist and played wherever I could. And every time, every time, I remember the following Christmas, Christmas 1990, I was staying in Reese Shearsmith's flat in Wood Green and we watched it. And when it got to the bit, he screamed more than the woman in black. <laughs> and I've got, that is still the most welcome ad break of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my it's God, masterfully yeah. Done. It's masterfully done. It really is. It's just, and she just doesn't stop. No. She just stop coming. It goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. It's a. Um, it's in, in, incredible. But it's um, he he makes some. Ch- what was the? He changes uh, the guy's main name. Kips to Kips, yes. doesn't he? Yes. It's a strange thing. This. This is an interesting yeah. thing we talked about this the other day. I mean, whether that's what Susan Hill objected to, but it's in a way because it's it's H. G. Wells's character from um, it Kips. Is, yeah. It yeah. became half half a sixpence. You you mm. could it could actually be the same person and. Weirdly, Neil was Neil really, really venerated Wells, uh, and not surprisingly, I think because I think they are comparable in terms of their gifts and their also their visionary status, you know. Um, and in yes. a way, the yeah. way that Wells Wells invented so much of what we know as all the staples of science fiction, and so did Neil in a different context, you know. But he, I think, he somehow found it a bit rude that she'd used this name from Wells. So he made it into Kid instead of Kips. Um, but uh, it's, but he, he told me, anyway, he told me, he, he wrote it in 10 days and as a job, really. I mean, he had a, he had a great affinity for ghost stories and he liked it, I think. But, and he had this marvellous late-blooming relationship with Central TV. Mm. Um, he wrote it in 10 days and his agent said, oh, don't send it in yet, they'll think you've rushed it. So he sat on it. He just sat on it for weeks and weeks and it nearly didn't happen because they thought, oh, he's too old, he can't do it. And, and at the last minute, I think Herbert Wise rang home and said, how is it going? He said, I finished it four weeks ago. <laughs> oh my God, send it, please. <laughs> so that's how it happened. Yeah, thank goodness. You remember watching um, uh, Wise and Neil's other great um, collaboration, Ladies' Night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... I mean, that's... I, I remember the... You know, as a Neil obsessive, I remember, you know, it's, it's just seeing his name pop up in these contexts was fascinating. I mm. mean, I always found his, his, his non-genre work fascinating simply because, you know, as Alan Bennett says, that we all only have a few beans in our tin to rattle. And the, the way that he's, his, his preoccupations and his obsessions just keep forcing themselves into stuff is really interesting. I mean, his last... TV uh, is Cavanier, isn't it? Or, or is it Sharp? Sharp I think it's Cavanier, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. Called, what's it called? Ancient History. Yeah, it's, it's still, the, the Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. Still about, it's still about the ghost of the past, isn't mm. it? So it, even in, in, a, in a, a straight drama, there's something about those preoccupations which he simply can't get away from, which is fascinating. I think um, is it, um, the, the latest night one, The Unnatural Causes, is... Um, the funniest he's ever been. Um, yeah. Because I think you have that uh, Fiona, Fiona Shaw's character, where you just have the, the, the audience member going, what's he doing? Why? When you have, like, is it Alfred Burt's big speech about saving Hitler's life? Or, um, and yeah, then yeah. She, she's, comment, she's commented on it. Uh, and the way that like, when they think when they think they've killed her, uh, everyone just starts drinking scotch. And it's just like, look how useless these are. And it's, it's, 
uh, is similar to the power reversal, I think, in, in Beast, but it's almost like it's played for laughs. It's in, in, in the difference mm. to, to be utterly ridiculous. And then the final insult, the police turn up and all the police are women. And it's, um, it's, it's, but it's, it's interesting, though, because Kinvig, which I remember very well, it's, I mean, again, it's the same time. I was, it's, there was so much Nigel Neal in the late 70s, and I remember being, I so wanted to love it, and it, it's just <laughs> utterly bizarre. Well, it's terrible, it's actually, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and, which is why I literally said latest night wasn't the funniest thing he's written because I don't, yeah, but, but it's, I don't it, think Kingsley is. It is so strange. It's such a strange commission, and you, I, I think sometimes you, you know, to, to be, criti- I, I'll be critical, but although I think he was a genius, that there were some things he, he wasn't right for, and and whether he thought that traditional situation comedy or something was was not worthy of attention, but it's it's. It's first and foremost, it would be fine if it was funny, but it isn't. It's no. just weird. It's very weird. <laughs> Did um, famously your um, favourite hero of Doctor Who is, 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 is John Pertwee, would be fair to say as well. Is there a part of you that having, you know, when you familiarise yourself, particularly with Quatermass 2, you, you, you wince a bit when watching season seven of Doctor Who? Well, you know, that's another, as you say, another way of encountering Nigel Neal early was to see was to know that he was the person who hated Doctor Who and and then you then you realize later on he probably hated it because they just ripped off everything he ever did I mean the the demons which I have profound memories of I mean Mm. we're talking about the scariest things and I was five and I thought Doctor Who had become real because of the BBC Three transmission, and I thought it would become real. It was a bit ghost watch. Wow! Yeah, I remember Bok coming over the hill. I've never been so frightened in my life. And then you watch it, of course, when the Doctor has the slides of the, the horned beast, and just go. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I have this terrible idea that Nigel Lee managed to to miss all of Doctor Who in the sixties, and then he turned on the telly one day, and it's like, oh. <laughs> he just happened to see the demons, but the, the influence is profound. The influence was profound. The, the the not much commented on fact about Unit and the Web of Fear is because of the Pit film being made in '67, isn't it? I mean, you know, Mervyn Hazen and Henry Lincoln saw Quatermass and the Pit at the pictures, and then they wrote Web of Fear. Absolutely, it's set on the tube. It's it's got everything. The Brigadier Colonel Bree. It's got a lot. It starts there. Yeah. And yeah. then obviously, Quatermass 2 and the meteorites. <clears throat> but it's just, I mean, the thing is, as a Doctor Who fan, you, we don't much comment on the magpie nature of, of the production over the years. And Robert Holmes gleefully stole from all his favourite sci-fi and horror films. And that's why those things are so good. You know, he, he, had, a, he had a real gift for not just copying but transmuting it into its own thing the great thing is you know of course pyramids of mars is like a a universal mummy film but it's the doctor who version of that they don't go to egypt and there isn't a mummy in that sense it's still this weird confection of doctor whoey things and and i suppose in a similar way with the the swarm of of guided meteorites. It's, of course, it's Quatermass too, and, and all those things. But actually, what what the aliens are is very Doctor Who. It's very different. They, you know, affinity with plastic, and it's it's got its own. It has got its own thing as well as borrowing from the as well as um, Weber Fear, I suppose. Mervyn Hayes and Henry Lincoln could also be influenced by the Wonderful Snowman or the creature, which that's what, which yes, is, yes. Is oh God, very much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when I first saw the film, you kind of go, 
Oh yeah, here it oh, is. It's Wolf, it's Wolf Morris. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure, absolutely, yes. They always they went to the pictures a lot, I think. Yeah. Although I don't know what I don't know what they saw to make the Dominators. <laughs> Something very boring. When you came to do um, uh, First Man in the Moon for for the visible, um, did you ever use Neil's uh, film script as a starting point? Was the, just, was the question of budget meaning that you went off in? Uh, I mean, it came about in a curious way that I, I'd done uh, Crooked House uh, mm. the year before, yeah. which is a portmanteau ghost story. And it was, it was actually, um, it, was, it was one of the, I think it was the then controlled BBC4, Richard Klein, who said, what about H.G. Wells? And the, and the only title that was available first man in the main and I did I did have qualms because I love the movie I love it particularly Lionel Jeffries yeah um, so good. but obviously it, it felt like an, an opportunity even on, on a tiny budget really to, to do so to do a different version I suppose that's what so I read the book and it, it's a lovely film obviously but it's 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 a curious thing it's Nights are lovely but of course they're also kiddies in costumes the moon calf is gorgeous, but because of the lunar quality, it's it's kind of colourless, isn't it? It's that it doesn't have the colour of Sinbad or anything like that. So it's a curiosity, and the ending is utterly bizarre. I just I've always found it so bizarre. And Edward Judd says, "Poor Cavour, he did have such a terrible cold." And you go, "No, he didn't." So I I came up with this. There isn't an ending in the book. It just peters out. And I thought, well, if if I'm speculating that maybe in 1909 there was an atmosphere now there isn't there's a reason it's gone i thought well that's the obvious, the obvious thing is that cabaret destroyed it you know it was a lovely lovely experience and i was essentially playing i think since i saw that film i wanted to be Arnold jeffries in first minute or anyone in a linen suit going it's a tyrannosaurus rex you think so many of these things are uh, um a possible largely because of things like BBC Four. I mean, particularly in the in the in, in its first ten years, there seemed to be a, a hugely fun experimental. Let's get it done. We've got small budgets, but hey, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Because now there seems to be very little original drama. Yes, I mean, it sort of it was officially stopped after the Burton and Taylor thing. That was the last big one, and it's right. crept back. I mean, my my ghost stories. Uh, for four, but it, I mean, it's it's the strict proviso that it's it's really very little money, but I just want I don't want to not have them. I mean, it offends me that there aren't if there isn't one. We've managed to have one last uh, last couple of years, and I really want it to keep going because it's um, you know I, I wish I wish we had a, a ten day shoot and a bigger budget, but I'd rather try and make it. it I mean, except I don't want to be too pejorative about it because the other thing is you you sort of make it under 1970s conditions you're largely left alone and you have to use your wit in in a rather lovely way I think just in terms of cast location and and how to do it you know how to how to create the scares in a small time frame and with very little resource but it's it can it's a great it can be a great whetstone to the imagination as well. Have you got um, a wish list of M.R. James stories that you'd like to adapt? Well, um, it's hard because, again, have you, read, have you read Neil's intro to that book of M.R. James' stories? Yes, that's that's a, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to bring that up. Surely you have that. That's, that's two of your great smack coming I've together. I've given that as a, as a present. It's a, very, it's a very interesting intro, isn't it? Mm. Because I, I think he, know, he, he gets deep into Monty's psychology and so something like sometimes it must have been very difficult to be a marcher. <laughs> I rather like that. 
Um, I, um, well, I, when I made the track tape, Middeth, I remember doing the talk at the BFI and saying, I, I'd love to do other writers, you know, obviously James is the, is the master and, but there are loads and loads of wonderful stories. The trouble is, of course, he really does sell tickets. So when I did the dead room a couple of years ago, uh, I mean, and that literally was, can you, can you do it for this much? Can you do one for this much? And I said, yes. And I wrote the entire thing tailored to that much money. Um, so I wanted to do an original, but also what I do is, is essentially dramatize M.R. James's rules. So it's sort of an, a James adaptation, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then Martin's closed last year and this year, ooh, we shall see, um, depending on lockdown. Um, but it's, it's a natural place to go because he's so great. And also because if you put M.R. James' ghost story in the Radio Times, people perk up in a way they don't if it just says, Alden on Blackwood, I suppose, or something like that. You know, it, yeah, it would Benson. be lovely to. Well, Benson's my other fave. It Mine would be too. lovely to yep. expand remit, but it's hard. But I mean, that's not again. I, I I'm well, and then and look, to answer your question, Count Magnus is the biggie, mm -hmm. but it remains as it did for Lawrence and Clark. It's expensive, yeah. and I think you do. I mean, there's a version, there's a there's a way you could relocate it to Gloucester Cathedral or something. But there's something brilliant about that. The Swedish that. and also how it follows him back in the way that you can do um, number thirteen. Uh, you don't have to set that in in Jutland or wherever. You can, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, can move yeah. that quite easily. Uh, yeah. There's something the, the way it pursues him and he returns home. He is. I think there's also I think when I was in Stockholm a couple of years ago on holiday, and I went I deliberately went to a lot of kind of rather strange Calvinist looking churches and, and I mean the whole flavor of them is very distinctive it's not it's not like Barchester you know it, it, they're really weird it, you you completely expect most tombs seem to have a sort of skeleton on the rising <laughs> they're very weird I think it would give it a really special yeah. flavor yeah you, yeah you have to have the travelogue I suppose the fact that there's an easier sell for it's an MR James story than it would be for Blackwood or Benson I mean that's as much a 70s thing as anything else isn't it that's you know there's still people um, even if they don't remember from the first time around, the, the concept of the 70s ghost story was, you know, was, was M.R. James. So that's part, I think, still of the, of the weird TV ephemera of, of, of the 70s. The fact that these are, you know, these are films that are you know, four, four, 40 minutes long, like, there's, something, there's something still special and unique. There isn't if there's, a, if there's a series. That's why I like anthologies as well. There's something, I know people don't make up, even, even in something like Inside Number Nine, Still is made and stars the same people. It has a, it has a regular cast, um, but I mean, there's, there's there's something delicious about um, we're going all out in this direction for this week, but this week only, and they will dump it next week. There'll be you know, they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll, 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 they'll be the theme. Uh, you know, Shadows of Fear is still a you know, it's, it's, it's it's I don't know. It's, you've got your weird music, you've got your and you don't know what's coming this week. And it's, you know, the history is essentially, um, television history is, 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 is replete with rules which are then broken. And I remember, mm. I remember being in so many meetings where people wouldn't, they, they said, no, nobody wants anthologies. They, 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 you need a precinct, they want to follow the same characters. And then suddenly they don't again. And then that's the new, the new norm, you know. So that's where we are really. And, and I remember when, when 
Black Mirror started, I texted Charlie Brooker and said, whisper it, but you just reinvented the dystopian sci-fi play. Because apart from the title, it was different. And that's, I mean, that, you know, you, you could so imagine that being a 60s anthology series on ITV, couldn't you, Black Mirror? Mm, mm. That Nigel Neal would probably have written two of. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So um, when you did um, the, Quat the Quatermass experiment, when you did the, the live story, I heard that initially you were up for Andy Dinatello's role, the chemist, that you said you wanted something a bit more because this is your one chance to do a Quatermass. Is that That's right? right. My yeah. I, 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 I blackmailed <laughs> Basically said, I'll I'll do it if I can play a big part. Were you, um, are, were you asked to be involved, or did you just go? This is going on. You have to involve me. I can't. I wish I could. This is terrible, isn't it? Because I sound like one of those reluctant convention guests. I I really I just can't remember. Um, I'd have to dig something out to find out. But it was again. It was the same people. It was Fiction Lab, and and that it was all that area. So I must have heard. I must have heard something and then said, you know, I've got to do it. <laughs> I've got to be in it. Um, and I, they work quite closely with Nigel Neal on it. And um, I heard they did it at the beginning. And then it's after a yeah. while, um, it was just, it naturally ran out. They didn't, I didn't know when they necessarily consulted him until a certain point. But um, yeah. what I heard but, from, you know, you know uh, Andy Murray, um, yeah. Nigel Neal's biographer, he, when he was interviewed about it, now this is this is from from from, from Nigel, so it's our point of view. Uh, but he said they spoke to him quite a lot, and then after a certain number of time, he never heard back. Now that could just be because you know, there's no more to say on the script development side, or or, 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 or what. Well, it, it, sorry, it's more it's more likely that he he followed the, the the pattern of his later years, which was sort of he became rather curmudgeonly, and but he was very ill. Uh, I talked to Judith Carr quite a lot when I did that Radio Times interview with her. And he, you know, all that stuff about his photosensitivity and, and the, 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 it's almost too good for a biographer, isn't it? That he actually, he, he was sort of couldn't bear the sunshine and had to live in the shadows. Mm. And yeah. towards the end of his life, he was really very ill. And I think there was a vascular thing going on, which made him very short tempered and all. So I th there was a pattern, essentially, apart from central TV, he, he got quite short with people, even if, even if, and sometimes especially if they really loved his stuff. Um, mm. And I remember talking to Andrew Pixley about, uh, Andrew knew him quite well. He did, I mean, from a lot, you know, from like the eighties, he interviewed him and, and he said he singled you out the phrase, by the way, when he saw it. I know, that's nice, isn't it? I mean, I'll take that, thank you very much. Yeah, it was very kind. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. I've probably talked about somewhere else a lot, but it, it was an extraordinary experience, not just to feel you were face my six but just to do it live and to join, however briefly. I mean, I, I've worked, I have already worked with a lot of elderly actors who were in that club, and no one ever expected to be able to join it again, but you actually could just go, yeah. Don't want to do that again. <laughs> also, John, I mean, John Patterson's a genuinely interesting role. And I was saying mm -hmm. this Howard did, did before we start. More than any other character, he has a journey. Yes. In, in, yeah. in, the, in the original, he's got a bit more room to breathe because we've got, we've got three, hour, three hours worth of women telling. But you've still, you know, he's an interesting character. There is development, there's mistakes, there's virtue. And um, 
it must be hard. I mean, beyond reading the script, you've only you you have only got the first two episodes. Was it a question of just you need to, to see? Is it um, Q Kelly? In the original it was just about reading the script and finding what you wanted to do with the character from that. Or given that it's live, and you just basically was yeah, this is heightened tension. We've got we've got to get this out. Well, well fueled by terror. Yeah. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, you know, it's very much of its time. I remember distinctly that uh, you know, that sort of lapel grabbing. Um, what happened to them? kind of hysteria of that bit in the capsule. Um, but I, I think we, talk, we talked, I said, well, am I, I might doing Northern. And um, I remember the things I remember best are uh, once, once I, you know, I was playing him and not the chemist, um, uh, that Kenneth Cranham was, was, they were going to ask Kenneth Cranham to be Quatermass. And then oh, really? there was a, yeah, there was a very sudden shift to Jason, and I think it was just a decision not to make it feel, you know, Ken would be a brilliant Quatermass, and therefore maybe yeah. that's the wrong thing to do because he feels like an obvious choice. Whereas mm. Jason, being that much younger, it was a totally different way of doing it. I remember that discussion, and then just the logistics of it, and also, you know, we we rehearsed it like a play for about a fortnight in a church in the American church in Tottenham Court Road. And, um, like 60s Doctor but, Who, you know, Churchill, yeah. yeah. But we, we all said from the very beginning, this is too short. And, mm. and the only thing that's going to happen is it's going to get shorter because once we start, we start panicking. Yeah. And indeed we did, you know. So it, it's, um, it's a curious piece. I remember watching it the next day with, at my house we're here with David Tennant and we watched it and, you know, those strange lingering sort of drone shots of London just going for ages. But it was, a, it was an incredible thrill. It really was an incredible thrill. I remember watching it back very recently before doing this. And one of the things I've never noticed, the bit where David Tennant stumbles is his arms out running, which I got me so used to from, as, as, as a Doctor Who thing. Oh, it's, it's, you know, there's almost, it's almost a, a Doctor Who performance. I did stop me if I've said this somewhere else, but apart, apart from poor Adrian Bowers drying, yeah. which was yeah. unbelievable, excruciating. He was gutted out here. I mean, and also I remember there was a, they wanted to put it out on the DVD like that. And he went, no, <laughs> no. But the, um, there was a hilarious bit. It was the chemist shop actually. Uh, after Andy de la Tour's been there and um, essentially the chemist shop was, was, was just represented by that uh, rack of test yeah. tubes and stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, Adrian Dunbar finally loses patience and says, oh, come on, Quatermass, this little green man is ridiculous. And he, he slammed the door and the entire wall of test tubes collapsed. <laughs> and it, it cut, I think, I remember, I, as I remember it, it cuts just, it's on, it's on David and Jason, and it cuts just as they go, like just creeping up in the side of their mouths. Ah, okay. I'm going to have to watch that again. <laughs> we were in the green, I was in the green room with Isla Blair, whoever else was, was not by then, and we just heard this unbelievable smashing of glass. I had no idea what was going on. But then, live telly. <laughs> yeah. what, I mean, I know what the, the reason given for why they, they chose they chose to do this live. Do you think that reason was justified, or would you just like to have done a remake of it and done it as best you, you possibly could, or was it a worthwhile experiment? No I, 
think it was, I mean, it was, a, it was an exercise in how to do it, wasn't it? And, and I suppose the easiest, you know, they, they did a live Coronation Street around the same time, didn't they, and stuff like that. The, which, none of it's easy, but I, I had, you know, you have to admire the sheer um, scale of it. And it, it's not just like doing um, two, two people sitting in a room and talking live. It, it, it's got spaceships and invaders. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's big. Yeah. But then the same, the same time, an awful lot of it is, is about what, what we've lost. Uh, I mean, the, the pit live is, is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. And I mean, after 40 years, a lot of that expertise was simply lost. It was like, yeah. how, how did they, how did they do that? You go, oh my God, they dug down by raising the sides of the pit. And, you know, that, I never forget discovering that, that rather curiously directed bit with a journalist that they're talking to Roni. I'm not sure about this, Roni, ape men, Knightsbridge. And it goes from journalist to journalist and journalist and finally to cease Linda. And it's because he's run from the other studio. That moment, you know, of like, uh, he wasn't very tall, but he walked like a man. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And then he pelts to the other studio. So the camera, in that moment, I mean, he, you know, it's, it's, it makes me, makes me feel ill to think about it. It's so but, scary. But you've near enough done it from that moment in the first scene where you rush back and the, the camera turns to the door. And I'm like, what's happening here? And then you run in and say, the, the chopper's with me. Uh, and then it, cut, then it cuts to, to the to the external shot of you know, the Apprentice at night or whatever that thing is, and you're clearly like it goes on again a bit too long because you've planned across the position. And the next shot is like you know outside broadcast, you've got you know, a smoke smoking spaceship, and then they, they, there's clearly lots of talk about people, and they're like, what's this really doing? And the next bit is you appearing in like. That's right. Yeah. Well, we had, we had, we had, oh we had, yeah, they had to keep Mark had to just be done. on, and they've got to keep this going. That so we that had means, individual runners, which is very right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, was, who was essentially employed to propel us because we would just not remember, or it was, it was, it you're was going this way, right? wow. Go pushing you through doors and stuff like that. It's made. And it isn't just, I mean, how many cameras did, were, were, did you have on the set? Because they presumably had to be moved, there was only a finite number of cameras to move around. I don't remember, I mean, there were, I mean, it must have been a, at least, a, I mean, a lot of steady cam, obviously. Yeah. Um, I would say, I guess, I mean, an average scene must have been about two, the usual cut, cutting two, but it was, it was mixed live, you know, like, like, a, yeah, like, like, a, like an outside broadcast would be. So, um, and then there were, there were occasional little pre-filmed inserts and stuff like that to, to cover gaps, but God, yes, it was thrilling. And, and I mean, I've said this before, but the, it was also the moment that David told me he was going to be the doctor and, um, it was, I remember <laughs> sort of sitting down on the grassy verge thinking, okay, so if someone had told me when I was eight, that whilst I was making Quatermass, my friend would tell me he was about to be Doctor Who, <laughs> I think I would have probably died excitement. Was there any, any tiny part of you that was just like, oh, is it not? And like, or you 100% happy for that? And this is, I'm not trying to- Oh, you mean what? Because I wouldn't do Because you must have dreamed of being Doctor Who since you were, you were oh, a child. Oh, yes. You know, well, you know, all, what is it the master says? Envy is the beginning of all true greatness. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you played the master. For, 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 oh, for, repeatedly. For, yes. <laughs> I suppose in that case, you've you, you also you played you 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 played the doctor. Yes. Yes. Web of caves. Alexander wept because he had no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, have you ever thought of doing a meal for Ghostbusters for Christmas? Have you, um, could you do the chocolate? Oh yes, I, when, I, when I interviewed Judith, um, uh, I tried to, well, Tractate tra came about because um, I was asked to do a documentary on MR James and I, I said I'd love to, but I'm, I, was, I was really busy. And they kept asking and eventually I said, I'll fuck. I said, I'll do it as long as I can make a story as well, because there's no point in doing the documentary without another ghost story for Christmas. And they said, yes. So that's how that happened. And actually right. the, 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 the packaging of that was really useful. Uh, essentially it was 90 minutes of MR James, uh, a documentary and a story. And really that was Christmas evening on BBC two in 2013. And, uh, I remember that. That, that's what you want, isn't it? And and I tr I, I've tried I tried it with Benson. I said, well, if, can I do a documentary on Benson and one of his stories? But they weren't interested. In. But I talked to Judith about possibly doing a documentary on Nigel Neal and then one of his stories in the same way because it's sort of a neat way of doing it. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I, I'd love to. I think his uh, I think Tomato Kane is a remarkable collection. There are. I wish he'd written more prose. Actually, I mean. The, the Great Must book is terrific as well, but the, the they're really weird, those. Is it Jeremy in the Wind, that one about the yeah. scarecrow? The fact he puts a pebble in his mouth to talk. and um, uh, They're really weird, and, and uh, you can see all those weird Manx preoccupations sort of spilling into them, can't you? But I'd love to. I think it's uh, the one I always, I'd like to do is, um, is it a patter of tiny feet? Uh, the one about the reporter photographing the poltergeist. Yeah. That's really good and a very clever idea. This man, you know, this man invites a reporter to, he's got a ghost in his house, a child, and uh, and they have to set up like a camera trap and but nothing shows up, but you can hear it laughing. And and it's, it's the ending that the, the reporter says to the photographer at the end, he said, well, it's like any parent, isn't it? He's proud of his little one or something like, I've gone cold, look, I've gone cold. It's such a creepy idea. He is, he's showing off his kitty, even though it's dead. <laughs> but I think he's happiest when he's, he's dealing with big ideas and is communicating those to, to, to a new audience or um, you yeah. know, some great big new concept. I mean, if you, like, if you read the big, big giggle, mm. uh, again, incredibly prescient thing. And... And then uh, you can actually also understand why he decided not to go ahead with it. He agreed that they shouldn't make it because it was too dangerous, but he's just seeing ahead and going, mm, I can see this going well. And I tell you what, I just remember what really struck me as a kid when I bought the script books for Quatermass was, um, he says 1953 was an overconfident year. And I love that. The coronation, Everest, he thought, mm, let's prick this bowl. And yet two years later, the world of Quatermass 2, the, the Britain of Quatermass 2 is very different. It's become a suspicious and darker and rather more paranoid place, you know. And, and I think somewhere between those two poles is Nigel Meal. He's, he likes to prick optimism, but he's also, he's also quietly on the side of the humans. And this goes back to Wells, doesn't it, as well? Because yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's Wells to a T. Wells is able to be on the side of the humans and paint ordinary human life really accurately with a very small kind of, with a very small amount of words. 
But on the other hand, he's not afraid to make his science fiction depressing and frightening. And yeah. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, I read the history of Mr. Polly when I was like, when I was younger, and um, um, he his catchphrase is "rotten, stinking hole." You know, he, he hates his suburban life, and Wells obviously yeah. delights in getting the, the Martians to blow it all up. Mm. But uh, but ultimately, he is he's on our side. He's a great humanist mind. Yes. Although I also think I also think increasingly the fact that Wells's last book was called "Mind at the End of Its Tether." I think about <laughs> it a lot. I think about that a lot. of projection. Is that because I suppose is is it the reason that um, Neil is a as a as a genre uh, a writer because the ideas that he wants to present are best presented via things that we would encapsulate with horror or sci-fi, um, as opposed to um, focusing on you know the the uh, not the not. not not the, the minutiae, but yeah, the more direct social issues that someone like uh, yes, I, I, think, I think it's kind of. I mean, it's interesting, of course, that he adapted Osborne, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's what first two. I think he's it's because he was a hot writer. Maybe that's mm. why he was a great. Oh, yeah, and it was and it was his first film. But well, it was you know it was a way into film. So you know, Charlie um, Richardson was using lots yeah. of new people to get it. Like, it's a good there. new. It's a good association. But he yeah. obviously had an affinity with that, which is interesting. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the ideas are so big that, you know, you, I think, I think genre in whatever way you sort of describe it fits things like that. If you think of a play like Fable, you know, the famous TV play about in which black people were actually mm. in the place, you know, yeah. that's yeah. the way to do, I mean, that's actually shot in a very realist way, but it's sort of a sci-fi play, isn't it? Because it, and it's even called that to, to sort of, to say to you, this is a what if, you know? And I think- Even the continuity announcer has to tell them it's a what if. Just yes, don't, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. but something, about, something about the size of those ideas means you, you sort of need something like, a science fiction vehicle, I think, to to cope with them, even even when you're actually trying to also say it's our world, you know. Some of my favourite little bits of his writing are are all those very Manxy kind of little things. You know, the old guy in Quatermass Two says, "I used to court a girl from Widden Flats," mm-hmm. and, and well. just little moments of, of of real humanity. You know, the woman in black is full of them. That yes, you know. Bernard Hepton says she had a, she had a bandling bastard child and and um, just real economy of of of, uh, of character there and it's all it it's so it's about it's about these again it's as you say it's very well isn't it it's about these gigantic yeah. concepts but it's he wants to make sure it's our world because then it feels relatable and believable but there's constant every every creative that I, I've ever spoken to in any of life um, has you know, the horror stories of you know, the execs stopping it or not understanding. You said earlier, like, you know, execs deciding you don't want um, anthology uh, until they do. Beyond the terror of keeping their job and keeping Edward Lim's level of money there, where do, do, do those people get the, the idea that this is what the public want or this is what the public needs? And why don't they necessarily understand where you're coming from? Because these people must, must love what, like the creative, the creative arts to be in in the situation. Or, or not. Yes, I mean you must. I mean I don't. Really, I mustn't be too down on people because no, no, it's not. Sure. 
it's not it's not like all the past was was rose tinted and amazing and, and all the present is not the obviously people have huge enthusiasm and, and love for what they do I, I think it's much more particularly a genre thing that's that's the problem i've had over the years there was a point i remember having a really frustrating meeting with someone when and this is this is pre-marvel when literally the top 20 box office was was all um sci-fi or superheroes as i say before it became yeah. literally everything um people yeah think, well, do people really like that? And I want to say, go look at the box office now. Everything, everything that's popular, the geeks have inherited the earth. It's, it's, not, it's not cult. If you use cult now, it has to mean small-scale kitchen sink drama. It, you know, you can't define what we used to call cult as cult anymore. It's not, no. it's the absolute mainstream. And yet, it's still an uphill battle. I think maybe because... On the small screen, it's not—it's not a genre like I, when I grew up in the seventies and eighties, but particularly the seventies. All children's programs were spooky. We know that, and you know there were just as many, or it seemed like just as many sorts of John Wyndham's as there were police dramas. You know, there were yeah, there were medicals and there were there was Z cars, but there was also you know the nightmare. And uh, children of the stone is just much more of a thing, and um, that's just change. You know, it's much scarcer now. As a staple of telly, that that's changed. I mean, you know, uh, there used to be so much sci-fi and and fantasy really on telly, and then mm. that stopped. Uh, Doctor Who genuinely brought it back as a family audience thing, and then there was a bit of a rush to catch up and do other stuff. Which is yeah, kind of brought it back a, a bit, while. yeah. But it's still not—it's still not like it was in the mid seventies, and, and therefore I think there might still be a suspicion of it, except in rare cases like, um, like a Christmas, you know. And to, I mean, to be absolutely frank, you know, uh, Dracula didn't get the figures that Sherlock did. Um, no, I at least initially. I mean, on catch up, it did very well, mm. but initially it was a bit of a surprise that it, it didn't get as much. But and that's because it's not for everybody. You, you, you forget that Universal had a huge hit with Dracula, uh, it was a prestige picture for them the way that All Quiet in the Western Front was, and Frankenstein too. And then the horror boom made it less respectable, and then it never, never regained that, you know. Frankenstein particularly is, is, is regarded as great literature and very important. <clears throat> Dracula less so, it's an important book. Um, but it doesn't have a, doesn't have a reputation for, for um, sort of um, classical merit. Well, but, it's not as good, is it? <laughs> well, the Dracula is much better than Frankenstein. Oh, my God. You think? Oh, it's unfucking readable, Frankenstein. <laughs> um, God. Uh, but... Uh, but it's not respectable, is it? If you put that on the cover of a new edition, unfucking readable, Margaret. That's good. That's <laughs> why. Of course, that's why we like it because it's not respectable. It shouldn't be respectable. I think that's the the best horror is always transgressive, well, and it's full of yeah, really. That's true. Idea, you know, and if it becomes cozy, then something's gone a bit awry. What Neil means to you, both as you as a as a writer and artist. But all, but as a as a as a, as a viewer, as a consumer of of such things, ultimately, what what Nigel Neal means means to you? 
Well, I, I mean, I've, I've said this for donkey's years, but he, he really is, um, he's one of the greats. And the fact that he chose to pour his talents into television is to our great benefit. It also has cost him something of the reputation he deserves because, of course, so much of it used to be ephemeral and has gone. It exists, certain parts of it persist in the public imagination, which is fantastic, but it, it's, it, never, it never fails to interest me and amuse me that, that a lot of important things of the past vanish. And a lot of the most popular things remain, you know. And a lot of an awful lot of Doctor Who companions wish they they'd done one extra season rather than going off to the RSC. <laughs> and and a lot of people who did that silly little horror film in late nineteen sixty three are now very glad of it. Mm. But that's not just because that's not just because of the popularity of them, but it's because they it's good stuff and it speaks to us on a very primal level. I think. I think his great gift was to find a way of making, and it's a very H.G. Wells thing, the voice of the common person speak through big ideas and the scale of some of those things and the sheer, gen genuinely like visionary status of things like sex and soul or the stone tape in its anticipation of things we would actually go, oh my God, look, he's just invented DVD. <laughs> and yes. he's invented reality TV. And he's invented, yeah, I think in the big, big giggle, we have like transistor radio, face-to-face um, -face things, which are essentially iPhones. You know, and it just, it just keeps going. And so I think he had a tremendous heart. It's the heart of a manxman. And, it's, and it, he comes from an unusual place. So he's got this, He's got one foot in the ancient past and one foot right into the far future, which, is an, which literally and metaphorically is an amazing space to be. Our thanks to Mark for his time and also to Una McCormack for her help in arranging it. Burcast is presented by John Deere and Howard Ingham and is edited by Emma Cooper. Thanks for listening. Wow.